the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. With comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around your teams, The Athletic delivers everything you need and every sports story that matters. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of exclusive ad free content. For access to the stories at the heart of the game, use theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year subscription today. We are also provided by Balanced Bridge Funding, cost-friendly capital solutions to professional athletes for about six, seven years now. Balanced Bridge has dedicated professionals who understand the industry and are ready to customize a repayment plan catered to your client's situation and financial objectives. Borrow wisely and cost-effectively Avoid broker fees, and there's no prepayment penalties if you pay everything back early. Whether your client is under contract and needs a bridge against guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking for their next investment, or looking to borrow for any other reason, with Balanced Bridge, get a look, provide a solution, and be a resource for you and your client today. Visit balancedbridge.com. Happy Sunday, week one. My name is Mike Giannetti. We are not here to break down week one too much, but I will have Scott Allen here in a little bit to shake things up a bit. Here's the agenda. I did some super nerdy research this morning on a Sunday morning coffee. The TJ Watt stuff really got me thinking about siblings, right? JJ, TJ, Derek, the Manning brothers. There's a lot, the Gronk brothers. And I started to click around and find some research and make some lists. And I said, Hey, this is a thing. This is, you know, this is everywhere. This has been part of the league for as long as the league's been around. So in terms of the recent generation of football, What's, what's the 30 groups of brothers look like in this league? Positionally, from an earning standpoint, you know, from a future standpoint. So I broke it down. <laughs> I kind of located 30 plus brothers, siblings in the NFL, found out how much they earned in their career, ranked that. Then I built a little roster out of it. So did I have a position, uh, you know, a player for every position who had a sibling in the league you know, did the siblings play the same position or was it a split there? Super interesting stuff. Scott and I kind of break through those numbers a little bit uh, early on here. Then we switch into a different positional discussion, which is cap percentages, positional spending, you know, who's kind of the highest at their position right now. And what does that mean, generally speaking, for the trends and the success of a team and during it through a regular season into the Super Bowl? Scott's got some good numbers on that. He ran some numbers on the top three cap hits per team and what positions those generally are over the years. And then at the back end of this, just a discussion about some of these teams that kind of had to rip the Band-Aid off this year because of the cap, the league situation, um, how restructures became so involved, how void years got really involved, how many teams who had rigid contract structure rules broke those rules this year specifically, including just a couple of days ago with the Steelers and TJ Watt. So the back end of the discussion gets really kind of team building, forward thinking, what's going to happen now because of what happened this year kind of thoughts between Scott and I. Hope you enjoy it. Scott, if you're looking for a week one recap, this is the wrong place to be. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I, uh, I kind of purposely forced myself to find something interesting in a different, a slightly different area, you know, a little bit more relevant to our content. And I spent a lot of Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon watching the Watt brothers, <laughs> right? Yes. TJ Watt destroying the bills, JJ Watt helping in many ways with an Arizona victory and we're coming fresh off this TJ Watt extension, which is the talk of the contract world. And it got me thinking, where is this? Where is this sibling situation in the pantheon of 
I guess, recent NFL history. You know, I kind of went back probably a little farther than I should. I went, I went out of our scope of data in this research, Scott, but I still wanted to make some mentions here because there's some names I had no idea. Nine and 10 year old Mike growing up or watching players had no idea they were brothers in the league and things like that. So this was kind of a, just a personal win just to get some, some history into my brain. But look, this wasn't hard. Yeah, you know, the exercise here was basically find notable siblings in the NFL, whether active, whether they were, you know, kind of far apart, whether there's a couple of names in here you you, you didn't even know were active in the league, but tied to somebody else in terms of family. And obviously I've got some some price tags put on this too. You're looking at the list in front of you here. It's obvious well, let's just bury the lead. There's no surprise who's at the top of this list. They're gonna be at the top of this list indefinitely. I don't yes. know that, that the league will ever see another Manning Brothers situation, even if the money continues to rise like it does. Who's going to who's going to have that, right? Yeah, because to get even close to that, it's going to have to be two quarterbacks, two quarterbacks. you know, two in, damn in a family. Quarterbacks. Yes. Yeah, the price, the, the number is $501 million, by the way. They eclipsed a half a billion dollars in football earnings together. So unbelievable stuff. And... I guess let's just kind of we'll we'll quickly go down a couple of the, of the names on this list, and then I have another exercise that I kind of put together with this. So the Watt brothers, there's three by the way. Derek Watt is a fullback with the Steelers. He he's contributing almost ten million to this factor here. So it's not like he hasn't done anything. He's been a, a good, solid, you know, consistent, reliable NFL player. But obviously JJ leads the day, and TJ's got. A couple of years to catch up here with his guaranteed money. The Watt brothers are second at almost 170 million combined for the three of them. If we if we take it in, into account that there's probably 70 to 80 to, to 85 million left on TJ Watt's extension after 2021, you know they're going to be up into the 250s, Scott. So you know they're they're going to have sliced that Manning brothers number in half essentially, and. I guess it's possible to assume that TJ could get another contract here. He's 30 now, so it wouldn't be a significant contract, but they could approach 300 million combined. It's realistic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's fun. That's really, really neat. Here's the name we have to get to, and it's going to encapsulate active players and a lot of inactive players. The, the Matthews family... It's <laughs> How is this not a 30 for 30, first of all? I know, really. It's... It's just so fascinating. Maybe that's not. Maybe there's not much personality. I, I mean, Clay Jr. has it. <laughs> you know, we've heard him talk plenty, but you know, maybe there's just. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the family just won't agree, agree to something like that. But this this tradition is just incredible. The exercise I'm going to bring to you in a few minutes, Scott, is I did basically like a starting roster of. I went position by position to kind of break down positionally which siblings kind of rank the top in their in their respective position. I couldn't find a better left tackle or better offensive lineman than Bruce Matthews, who's like two generations away from where I have these two players, Clay Matthews Jr. and Jake Matthews, who are brothers. You know, Jake's still active as a left tackle for the Falcons, who had a rough day, by the way. And and Clay Jr. just basically, you know, became inactive a couple of copies ago. So those two combined, Scott, are, are the third highest earning sibling pairs in uh in nfl history right now 158 and change 
you're probably too young to kind of go back into the Bruce and the original clays and then the clay before that. And, and, but this family tree is just phenomenal in terms of NFL history. It is Bruce. I definitely remember the name growing up, but if you asked me to remember anything from it, I definitely couldn't. <laughs> Sorry. It's not that but, kind of um, show, <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. The, the family tree of the Matthews is just unbelievable. Right. If football athleticism, whatever you want to call it is definitely in that, family bloodline and here's the cool thing because because obviously clay jr's on the defensive side of the ball is one of the better pass rushers of this generation but you know for the most part these are offensive linemen that was another neat part of this conversation was brothers or or you know father son like i, I got into a little bit did they play the same position did they play opposing positions cornerback wide receiver how did that kind of work out? You know, them growing up together, was it a was it a, a situation where they're being trained together, where they're being trained against each other? I thought that was fascinating because, you know, I'm into youth sports with my, my daughters, of course, and I could see how that could, and I'm a twin too. I had a twin sister, so I have a twin sister. So uh, it was, I can understand where brothers in the same sport would want to be playing something different. So it's fascinating to get players like the Watt brothers who kind of do everything together, um, and there's a few examples of that. We'll, we'll keep going. I have some some interesting comments, but quick, a few more quickly. It wouldn't be a brother's list without the Coward Brothers, Scott. No, no, definitely not. And they're gonna they're gonna rear their head back in this conversation. They're fourth in brother earnings in the NFL, 150 and change on the dot. And and certainly Derek has a lot of that. But David got himself 40 million as that former number one overall. So there's a there's nothing to slack about there. The McCordy Brothers. There's a couple of defensive backs who could be Hall of Fame bound, certainly played on, on plenty of Super Bowls, but that Bill Belichick defense, hundred almost $140 million combined for them on very, very good teams. That's interesting, right? That they kind of grew up, the twins, doing the same thing, literally the same job, competing against each other. One ended up being yeah. more of like a safety and, and, and more wanted to shut down cornerback. But I think that's fascinating as well. But that's a family that's having no trouble you know, getting by right now for sure. And similar with the Khalil brothers, they're fifth on this list. So that's your top five. That's uh, Ryan and Matt Khalil, obviously, you know, pro bowl decorated offensive lineman, center and center and left tackle there. And right behind them is the Pouncey brothers. Similar, right? A couple of centers who just torched the league on the interior of an offensive line and made themselves $135 million. Anyone else on this list kind of stand out to you? I don't want to. I've got 26, 27 brothers, sets of brothers here. And, and obviously the Gronkowskis are, are down this list as well in terms of the, uh, the longevity of those three other brothers versus Rob's active career still. Any other names kind of stand out to you that you maybe didn't realize? Or when you put the numbers in front of you, it's, it's kind of shocking in that sense? The Longs stick out. Yeah. Kyle Long, Chris Long for sure. Um, I also think the, uh, you know, the barbers, you got Rondé and Tiki. So you've got opposite sides of the balls instead of same position or at least same side of the with ball. With both there, with the Long Brothers too. That is, right. that's what I'm saying. That's one of those things that really stuck out to, stuck out to me, Scott, is how, you know, they, they didn't want to be competing against each other positionally. It was almost, let's set up, set up on the, each other's side and try to knock each other out. You can just totally see that happening growing up. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting if they had, you know, like you said, a, a 30 for 30 or some documentary going through all this list of siblings 
and saying, why did you go to the upbringing. offensive side? Why did you yes. go to the defensive side? It, was it a, par- a parental thing Who that said, made no, the decision? You're the right. Was it a coach? Yeah, that is fascinating, man. Good call. Let's get on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would it would be really fascinating because yeah. you know, with the athleticism, you know, you like you said, you get some twins, or you know, if if you get the older sibling mm-hmm. versus you know all the Gronkowski's got four here, and you know, got Rob with the tight end. I'm I'm not sure what the other positions are for the other three. Let's, let's flip over to the roster real quick. It's uh, because you just kind of hit the nail on the head here. I couldn't believe how many tight ends there were. I just couldn't believe it. It's almost like there was a there was a generation of fathers and mothers who said, "Hey, you know what position you, you should all play? Tight end." <laughs> and they got together and said, "This is what's going to happen." Obviously, you've got Shannon Sharp. Uh, I don't know how you can get better than that right now. Gronk is there. Gronk is in this conversation, of course. But then Vernon Davis, Travis Kelsey, the Selleck brothers, Brenton Garrett. There's more. I, I didn't even add them to this this little roster. But I, how do you even rank that in terms of tight ends? It's phenomenal. Um, here's the quarterback situation, which I think is hysterical. We've got the Manning brothers as our QB one. We've got the McCowan brothers, which literally were QB twos, right? That was that was right. their role in the NFL. They grew up. Into, into be QB twos. And then of course the car brothers, which maybe they're on the outside looking in, but Derek has a really good chance to be, you know, up in this conversation at some point by the end of his career, it was a really weak running back and wide receiver situation. I just didn't have it. It's I, I interesting. Just, I just didn't. Yeah, it is interesting because that's a, such a dominant uh, position. Well, I, I wonder if it has anything to do with the kinesiology of athletes, you know, the, the, the diva, well, not so much the diva, but the uh, fast twitch muscles, you know, do do those not translate as well through, you know, genetics over a course Jesus. of time? Does, I need a lot I more mean, alcohol I, for this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm just I'm, I'm throwing it out because, you know, it, it is interesting that you have the tight ends, you have offensive linemen or defensive linemen uh-huh. or whatever it may be being uh, genetic with, with siblings. So is there something where the, as you said, the diva, or if you go into the, you know, the, that was the first thought in my head, right? Like, a, and I have no idea. I mean, obviously Sammy Watkins has a brother in the league. That's why he's here. Sterling sharp, obviously with Shannon sharp. It was just one of those things that stood out. Like I couldn't find good weapons and I was, I, I don't know why. You know, I don't know why. Maybe it is something that those kind of players grow up a little bit more isolated, a little bit more, you know, I, I could see them a lot more of them being single ch- single kids, in my in my opinion, where they're dedicated, they're doing their own thing. They want the ball. That's we, we grew up in, in sports. We know how that is. There's athletes yep. that stand out in that regard, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just thought it, it was kind of a neat experiment that I, I had so much trouble filling those holes on this roster. I had absolutely no trouble in the trenches, right? I had no trouble at the tight end position. I could, I could find blockers till I was blue in the face, Scott. I really could. Um, but I, I was able to round this out. I put together an entire lineup, you know, five offensive linemen, four edge, four defensive linemen, four linebackers, two cornerbacks, champ Bailey's on this list. You know, your safeties are Rondé Barber and Devin McCourty. That ain't gonna, That's not too bad. Right. Um, I even found special teamers and they're all, they all played the same position. So you had the Barr brothers who were longtime kickers. You had the Colquitt brothers, longtime punters, 
And you had the Ishmaels, Rocket and his brother, mm-hmm. right? Rocket right. and Padre Ishmael. There's your returners right there. So I, the more I kind of did some, you know, the deeper I got down the rabbit hole, Scott, the more I realized, hey, this is, you know, this isn't just a singular thing. This this is really something. This is this is a long-standing tradition of the NFL, and I hope that there is some sort of strong documentary that comes from something like this eventually. Because you're right. Just it'd be so fascinating to understand how the Gronkowskis became what they were, you know, growing up here near where I grew up. But all of this, Shannon and Sterling Sharp, you know, how did that come about? What what was the trigger? Obviously, you know, who got him into football, but but why pass catchers? I I think that's absolutely fascinating. You're right. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is fascinating and it's probably something that maybe we can do better on our site sure. is tagging these siblings better to be able to have this list compile and do it across other sports. I'm curious to know and baseball hmm. has a huge tradition yeah. of father son or siblings and that kind of stuff. So I'd be interested to see this exercise done on some other sports to see if it translates to a similar situation, especially when you break it down to the positional breakdown, mm-hmm. you know, do, do siblings in baseball tend to play similar positions or are they pitchers versus, um, you know, batters or outfielders or infielders? I, that'd be interesting to see the, the, the experiment with that too. It's good stuff. Anything else before we move on here? No, I don't think so. I, I was looking to see, I, I think, yeah, it'd be interesting if, if Cooper would have played in the NFL with the Mannings because he was a quarterback as well. So if you had three quarterbacks, I mean, that, that's rare air right there. And a father that played quarterback, you know, it's just interesting. If it, you you mentioned that money, 500, over $500 million, you know, w- what quarterbacks are we going to see that have siblings that are just you know going to even touch that it's just it's well, i'm sure you're aware but it amazing. sure sounds like cooper might have the last laugh here with his son yeah i've heard him i've heard about his son <laughs> i think we're going to be hearing about that very soon sounds like 2023 yes. is the class he's coming out in and there's a chance he is as advertised so we are not done with the manning situation in the nfl in just a few years, that's for sure. All right. Anything from week one stand out for you, Scott? We're certainly not done with it. There's been about 14 games played here at the time of this. The Chiefs just beat the Browns as we recorded this. There's a, there's a late game tonight. There is a game tomorrow, obviously. A d- depleted Baltimore Ravens squad at this point. What's standing out for you? I'm, not, I don't, I'm hoping not to overreact. Let's just uh, hit up a couple of points here. Um, I think the... Young quarterbacks are getting better and better every year, especially the rookies. And there's no reason not to play them if you think that their future is your future. Um, I, I, you say don't overreact, and I agree. Let's not overreact to what Baker Mayfield did in one game. Let's see what he does over the longevity. And subsequently with that, let's not overreact with Josh Allen getting paid because of one game against a defense that was excellent. One of the best in the league right now. So as I watched the games, it, it was very interesting to see what players have shown up, which ones did not. And, um, 
I'll tell you what, that that NFC West is going to be yeah. a slugfest. Yeah, that that was going to be point number one for me is that's, you know, we, we anticipated having to focus on it and we haven't even seen the Rams yet. And I, I don't think they're going to let us down either. It's, it looks like that is as good as it should be. So if you've got dollars in that in that division, that's going to be a, a complete slugfest out there, which is excellent. Russell in the first six weeks is always less good. So that doesn't surprise me one bit. I, I don't know if you've seen the Saints score yet. Have you seen what the Saints have done here to Green Bay? Uh, yes, I have. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's worth an overreaction. I, I did some numbers this morning, Scott, uh, like I do every single week on NFL Sunday morning. The Saints had easily the least expensive roster coming into week one easily. I mean, you take Michael Thomas off this roster, obviously the quarterback situation is extremely cheap. You know, you take Latavius Murray off this roster. Uh, it's like 83 and change for their starting lineup. It's like 70 million less than what the Browns just put out there. Incredible. And they were competent on the offensive side. Jameis was kind of Jameis-y. And that defense, which got absolutely gutted from cap casualties this offseason, was completely stout against what should be one of the better NFC offenses in Green Bay. So it's worth an overreaction because I didn't think they had this in them at any point in time this season. So the fact that, that they came out of the gates doing this means they can find this again. It's just a matter of can well, these players and, and, be consistent enough to do it on a on an 18 week basis, right? Yeah. And the fact that what would the odds have been if you said Aaron Rodgers throws for zero touchdowns and Jameis throws for five touchdowns? Somebody won money on that sucker. There's no question. uh, Oh my gosh. I mean, the fact that if Jameis can do that and I mean, he only threw for 148 yards here. So if, if he can throw for more yards and continue with the touchdowns and that offense is not skipping a beat with not having Drew Brees at the helm, that that division may be a slugfest between them and Tampa Bay, and you know we'll see what Carolina does. Yeah, they were competent I, today against a bad team. They, they they were competent, and I think as we've talked about, you know Sam Darnold needed new, fresh. How, how about getting? How about being office. able to beat up your old team though, week one? Oh, that's got to I mean, be that's got to be huge for him. The NFL did him a favor. They really did on that one. Um, back to the Saints. You made an excellent point about how Jameis didn't have the yardage. It was all about production. It was all about, they forced him to be efficient, Scott. They, you know what they did? They put him in Drew Brees' offense. They put him yeah. in an offense that can't go downfield. Drew Brees was physically incapable of doing it the past year and a half or so. But the brilliance of that, of that front office and Sean Payton basically said, listen, if we put Jameis in here in that offense, even though he's got the arm to break out of this offense, he's not going to make the mistakes. If he's not yeah, he zero interceptions, that's what I'm saying. Zero interceptions. Yeah. If you zero. dink and dunk Jameis and use the weapons that they have, these young superstar fast kids, it may work like this every now and then. Now it's that's not a that's not an undefeated team. You know what I mean? Let's not overreact to that. But I, I think that was a brilliant week one game plan for Jameis Winston. Just slow it down, simplify it. You don't need to open it up yet. We'll find spots for that. But I thought it was brilliant. You you hit that on the head, Scott. That's exactly what happened here. Is just a, a smarter version of a game plan for a guy who is freakishly talented physically, but I don't think this that team needs him to be right now. That team won with Drew Brees at 40 years old, you know? So they don't need a, a, a mid-20s Jameis Winston go out there and throw for 500 yards. They don't need that to win ballgames, and I thought that was brilliant. Um, I'm not going to take anybody, you know, the Bills lost. That's fine. It, it happens. 
The Browns just lost to the Chiefs in, in a shootout. That's going to happen. Uh, you know, they are who we thought they are. Can't happen. It, and, after sometimes, one week. <laughs> it, 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 and sometimes that is good. Get it off. Yeah. You know, you learn from your mistakes. You, you see where your glaring holes might be. Um, you know, play calling. I know watching the Bills game, there were some play calls that yeah. I, I was scratching my head. And I'm sure across the league, there were some fans are scratching their heads at, at, at certain play well, calls. Let me jump in on that, Scott, because I, I was thinking in my head as it was happening. Um, penalties, things like that across the league. Yeah. Don't just keep in mind. It is. We, we track this stuff. We track uh, the fines, we, the suspensions, a lot of that in and out. The league really asks these referees to clamp down the first two weeks after week two, you'll start to see things spread out. The games will speed up a little bit more. You'll see less interruptions like that, but there is just a, it's just a known thing in the NFL that week one, especially. And then week two as well, you're going to see 10 holding calls. You're going to see the pass interference is called. It's the referees getting back into the situation and also trying to establish something on the field for the tone of the season it, that will stop. So if you're, if you're ticked off that your team got, you know, an unbelievable amount of holding penalties and an unbelievable amount of, you know, roughing the pass or things like that. Just know that data wise, that will even itself out here by, by mid season. It just always happens. All right. Last exercise for you, Scott. And it's something I like to do every year where there's a lot of speaking of trends and analytics that you run. It's just a thing, right? If you, if you're the highest average paid player at your position, or if you account for the most percentage of cap at your position, chances are, you are doing a disservice to your team's ability to succeed in that year. It's not a fact. It's not an opinion though, either. It's there's data, there's trend, there's data. I'm not saying it can't happen, but you, you can throw out your number for the quarterbacks if you want at this point. <laughs> it's usually around 12, yep. 13% if you want to get to your Super Bowl or less. Right. Anything higher, you're really at a disadvantage trying to, in, in, especially this year in a down cap year. I, when I ran uh, the, the percentage based on this year's cap, I mean, it just it, it hurts you because. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what is the all time high uh, cap percentage quarterback to win the Super Bowl? Is it about 18? I think it is, right? Um, so the highest cap percentage was Tom Brady last year at 12.6%. Oh my God. The, the highest cap percent for the losing quarterback was Peyton Manning back in 2009 at 18.8%. Um, and then the next highest, which was a loser was Matt Ryan at 15.3%. But otherwise, you know, the, the average is around, Seven percent. So you're not getting there over eighteen percent, based on the no. data, and you're not winning over thirteen. And that's just the quarterback position. But there's data to say, you know, if you're a wide receiver, if you're the highest paid wide receiver, or if you've got the highest cap hit as a wide receiver right now, you're you're behind the eight ball. Your team is behind the eight ball because of that. And you're right, especially in a year where where there were cap casualties at at a at a grand level because of the the twenty percent decrease in cap. It's something we have to at least talk about. And it's kind of fun to, to make note of the players who are in that spot anyway, right? So everybody knows the Mahomes, the Allens are at the top of that list in terms of the average salary. We do, we do track average salary percentage of the cap, which is kind of a different way to look at this, right? So where does 45% rank in terms of the 182.5 and whatnot? You know, if we're just looking at that, you're taking 
most of your quarterbacks out of it at, at that point. So we have to go with the straight cap hit. And obviously, if you don't know who's at the top of the cap hit list in terms of the quarterback position, Scott, go ahead and give that news. Russell Wilson. Yeah. So 32. if you bet Russell Wilson and those Seahawks to win it all, you're going against the metrics here. You're going against so the metrics. At 13% of the cap uh, of of the cap right now, uh, that's a just under 34 million. So 20 or sorry, 24 million. So we're 23.7 ish. Mm-hmm. You're, you're already chopping off the top five, top five quarterbacks, Russell, Kirk, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Jimmy Garoppolo, mm-hmm. and Ben, Big Ben. So that's six. And then Matt, uh, Derek Carr's at 22. Yep. But, you know, if you follow those trends, those top six there, most likely very high percentage, you're not going to the Super Bowl. And this isn't an exact science. So don't no, it's not. We're, we're certainly not saying that Aaron Rodgers can't win the Super Bowl this year because he has a cap hit of twenty seven million dollars. But the, it's just a trend. It, it's just a such. fluky thing that year by year we, we run the numbers. And for some, you know, you can understand the reasoning behind it. It. it it dissuades your team from being able to build unless you restructure. And that's another side of this, Scott. Many teams restructured. So so we may see a situation where one of these higher players get it done because it's not that high, right? The $32 million isn't that big of a cap hit in the, in the grand scheme of things. Aaron Rodgers, 27, is actually restructured. <laughs> he was the highest cap hit for most of the summer. So many of these have already been tinkered with a little bit. Matt Ryan was. Roethlisberger certainly was. Carson Wentz was, Matthew Stafford was, Dak Prescott just got restructured. So this is probably one of those years where we could have an anomaly at a lot of these positions because of how much cap work has had to be done across the league and across these rosters. But I wouldn't bet on it. These numbers have been tracked for so long now. This this is a real trend. You know, I I have back to 2000 on it. Yeah. I I mean, that's why I put some of my money on Matthew Stafford at that 20 million, which is kind of right in that sweet spot. You know, if you bet the Cowboys and Dak Prescott, that's kind of right in the sweet spot right now. Baker Mayfield, you know, the Josh Allen on his new contract, they're under 10% right now. That's, that's where you want to be heading into this, into a season where you think you can win the Super Bowl. And I'm not saying it's a science, like I said, but it is what it is in terms of the numbers. Let's run through the rest of these, uh, these positions real quick. Maybe just more, some of the more notable positions. You know, we've got two running backs north of 10 million in cap right now, Scott. Do you think the Tennessee Titans and the New York Giants can win the Super Bowl? Mm, no, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say no. Yeah, I think there's some people in on Tennessee, even though today I do too. But, today happened, but but I, and I I thought of Derrick Henry today when when I was doing my my fantasy lineup and yeah. DFS kind of stuff and. Derrick Henry always picks it up in the second half. Yep. So I, I stayed away from him. I went to some other running backs because I know he's always synonymous with a slow start. No question. No question. And and we'll address this all at the end of the at the end of the year, of course. But um, you know, Derrick Henry having a $13 million cap it is not going to stop Tennessee from winning the Super Bowl. I'll say that out loud again. I'm not I'm not making that statement. I I'm just saying I'd like to note who's at the top of these lists and then also say, look, it's the math is against them. So if you're talking just average salary, obviously we're talking McCaffrey, Elliott, and Kamara, and Delvin Cook. Pretty good, pretty good start in terms of week one. Not Zeke specifically, but many of these running backs did have a good week one. Joe Mixon did, Nick Chubb did, Melvin Gordon certainly did. So it's not that these guys aren't necessary. They are necessary to the football team. But I think your Henry point, Scott, is important. Um, he is a, a chronically slow starter. 
um, kind of picks it up when the weather gets bad, which is when you watch a running game. And that, maybe that's not an accident. Maybe he is asked to do that by his current organization when, you know, the running game really becomes a, a facilitator to an offense. Maybe he is asked to slow play his mileage a little bit because of his college career and what's been behind him so much. It's possible. But for the most part, the easier answer for teams is we're just going to get two or three options. And that's why any one singular cap percentage at this position is dangerous because you should have three or four options at this position. And if one of them is taking up, you know, 9% of your cap, it's probably not the best, most proficient way to spend your cap dollars right now, especially in this year specifically. So something to think about those two guys at the top of this list is, is notable, even though they're both hell of good players for sure. Speaking of which, okay. The highest average paid wide receiver in football, and he has been for a bit here, is DeAndre Hopkins, who just had a monster day. Just an absolute monster day. So his cap is lower because that was a restructure. And Scott, if you can run that the, the metric on on where where would it be for a wide receiver, you think? Like what would be the sweet spot cap percentage for a wide receiver, knowing you need probably five, six, six with depth. You know, knowing that there's probably three that really should be somewhat decently paid in terms of experience and, and, and that. Where's the sweet spot? Where do you think, just kind of running the math that you've run over the years for me, where do you think it's too much for one wide receiver to be allocated? Because let's be probably, honest. The, probably 8%, I, 8% or I think, higher, I, think, I would think. I think that's right, Scott. I think any position player... Any weapon that's over that ten percent threshold, he's either a, a superstar anomaly, and you know I, I would put McCaffrey in that conversation at this point, and and Kamara's getting there. He's he's done it long enough to really kind of warrant that. But I don't know that I could put any of these wide receivers there. Now Hopkins just had a hell of a day, and his extension was meant to lower his cap hit, so there was purpose. It was purposeful. But you know Amari Cooper at twenty two million when there's two other options on that roster, albeit on rookie contracts. To me, the only way you can get by with this, and I'm not knocking Dallas by any means because I think they've done it right here, is you have to be able to stagger your weapon pay. So if you remember, mm-hmm. Zeke got paid first, then Dak, or then Amari, then Dak. Next up could be Michael Gallup. CeeDee Lamb would be in a couple of years. So there is a there's a process, a rolling process in place in Dallas if they think they can stay relevant and healthy and in contention for the next decade, honestly, which is how this is laid out. So if, if you're saying to me that Amari Cooper was purposefully not restructured this year, and the fact that he's got a $22 million cap hit with Dallas is on purpose because he's probably off this roster next year or in a brand new contract with a lowered cap, that's probably less likely, but because Gallup's up, because CD is going to be extension eligible in 2023, I think that's the writings on the wall here for Amari Cooper. If you're a fantasy player that has Amari Cooper rostered right now, I, I think that's a red flag. Now, Allen Robinson, different situation, franchise tag, you have to take it and leave it. Devonta Adams, though, similar situation. High cap hit, expiring contract, doesn't want to sign doesn't want to talk about an extension right now because the numbers aren't close to where he wants to be. And that team, boy, is probably now really going to blow up, right? (laughs) Overreaction week one. Yeah, Um, right. But that's the reason. There's a reason he doesn't want to do anything about his contract right now. There's a reason Aaron Rodgers didn't take a full restructure on that contract. 
He wants to give himself the best ability to get the hell out of here in March. And restructuring pushes the dead cap forward, which makes the team it makes it harder for the team to to maneuver in terms of trade and release. So if you're if you're there's a reason you may have a high cap it and, and it may not be that you are greedy and have a huge contract. It may be that you are simply frozen and don't want to screw with anything right now because that your future is uncertain. Agree with that. Also, I would add on they don't know what the cap is going to be, how much it's going to go up compared right. to this year. So why why push dead money down or add you know dead money or restructure and prorate it across years where you don't necessarily know what that cap is going to go? I mean, the cap could go up thirty million from it being down this year based on the money that comes in. So I think some teams are probably fiscally smart to say, well, let let's wait and see. And then if we want to re-sign those players once we know what that cap is going to be to allow some more flexibility, then let's go that route. You know, maybe a wink, wink, we're going to re-sign you. We just got to see where we can actually fit you in. And instead of getting getting screwed like the uh, Saints have done where they had to release and restructure everyone under the their yeah. management it's there. It's been a tough year in that regard. It's a good point. You're right. There's there's some uncertainty with the league itself next year. So let's uh let's just hold out and see where we fall and we'll go from there, right? So yeah, and I I'll, I'll add this to to this conversation with the positions here. So I actually did some morning work myself <laughs> to see we're pretty pathetic, Scott. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> So I looked at the top three cap hits of every team. I added them up to see what team oh, I like this game. And I actually broke it down. I, I added the positions in there because I was curious to see which positions have been uh, across the league okay. have had the most in the top three. So okay. uh, we Let me can guess. start. Let me guess. Let me guess. 32 teams. You did the top three. That gives me 96 to work with. How many of that? How many of the 32 teams have a quarterback in the top three of cap? I'll say 10. 13. Okay. All right. Is is almost every position in this conversation outside of the special teamers? Yeah, special teamers. Like, is there back. a center in the top three of somebody's t- of somebody's roster right now? So what I did is I labeled them as offensive linemen. All right, that's fair. That's fair. To to group everything to, to be consistent across that. If I remember correctly, there was a center. Um, Rodney Hudson. Go ahead. So it, the highest was there's 19 defensive linemen, 18 offensive linemen, okay. 15 defensive backs, 14 linebackers, 13 quarterbacks. 13 wide receivers, wow. three running backs, and one tight end. Wow. Yeah. And the tight end is Kittle? Ertz. Oh, Philly. Speaking of a good start, huh? That Philly team, Scott, they are built in the trenches. They, they are, and we talked about that. We talked about that the other day, how they were the, and I brought it up, the highest money for them. They were on offensive line and defensive line. And, you know, if you pay correctly for those players, that's where. Honestly, that's why I love doing positional breakdowns in season so much. 
because I love to see where the, where the money ends up in, you know what I mean? Like we can say, all right, you know, the Patriots spent a billion dollars on tight ends. Does it bear out? Does that actually bear out? Does it actually change their offensive structure? Does it change their ability to win? You know, Tennessee adds a, a pass rusher for the first time in forever. Does that do something for them immediately? Whereas Philadelphia decides we're trimming off all the fat. We're just going to keep the positions of importance because we think we have a quarterback that might be able, you know, might be a diamond in the rough here on a rookie contract. So we can trim everything else off and kind of rebuild around him on the fly. I, I had one show, Scott, about a month and a half ago. Do you remember this? Where I, where I basically said it is so quiet in Philly. Zach Ertz mm-hmm. didn't get released. Zach Ertz didn't get traded. They didn't really make any splashy moves. They weren't really saying anything publicly. They weren't putting in any kind of vote of conferences for Jalen Hurts, which may, you know, sometimes teams have to do that to kind of make sure that they that, that the player knows that the team has his back publicly. Nothing was being said. And, and I told you, the last time I heard that was Seattle and Russell Wilson. That's the last time we had radio silence, and then all of a sudden it was bang. Look at what we have, guys. Jalen Hurts had a hell of a week one, and he had a, he had a good preseason, and he, had, he was decent to finish off last season in an awful situation. I'm happy to to overreact about that right now because it makes me want to watch him more because that's a winnable division. The Giants were bad. Dallas yeah, yeah. had had flaws and their health is going to be a problem. And Washington took their offense took a hit today. There's no question about it. They're they're banged up in the wide receiver position, and Fitzpatrick is off with what could be a couple week injury here. So if this Philly team can tick, if Jalen Hurts can be a star, the time could be now. <laughs> so the fact that they trimmed off so much cash and cap this off. They had to, obviously, but in positions that weren't dire, you know, they were replaceable positions for the most part. I I think it could be one of Howie Roseman's most brilliant moves if he can pull this off and be in contention in November. Yeah, especially that we had the conversation last time with positional and the expendable ones have been... Uh, you know, you could get them in the undrafted or the late rounds of the draft. You know, the wide receivers, the running backs, the, the exactly tight ends, you know, the trench. There was no no coincidence that the trenches are the highest you know, starting yeah. position in the top of the rounds. And that's where teams need to yeah. five tackles took this year. Right. It was crazy. Um yeah, it's it's the way to do it. And look, right before the season started, they extend a, lo- a left tackle who's got like, you know, 11 snaps in the league to a four-year, $64 million contract. To me, that's just an, another vote of confidence for not only, not only this current roster, but the quarterback. You know, if you're extending a young left tackle that basically hasn't had the reps yet, you feel pretty confident about your short-term future. So kudos to them. Again, that's a, that's a reaction I'm happy to have. But But back to your Saints point, it's the same conversation that yes, they cut a lot of trim you know, fat off. And I hated the Latavius Murray situation for the timing of it, but that was the right move. You know, they, they, they found a young kid to beat him out and they trimmed off 5 million. And literally as we're speaking right now, Scott, they just locked in Marcus Lattimore to, um, or excuse, excuse me, Marshawn Lattimore to almost a hundred million dollar contract. So you want to talk about overreaction. They have a good week one and they give a guy a hundred million dollars. <laughs> but look at they have some serious, serious contracts now. They are not tanking in New Orleans. They're not. Not financially, at least. Philly, we, we have to yeah. kind of let it play out a little bit. But it's really interesting to see how, how bad teams 
or potentially bad teams handle their business through my goggles. Because mm-hmm. and I know in basketball, Scott, you see a lot of this. You see a very different situation. Remember how bad the Lakers were? Yeah. The Lakers didn't tank. Nope. They didn't tank ever. Right? Maybe that one year to get what? Lonzo Ball? That worked out. Right? But they didn't do that. They, they tried to build through the draft. They traded all those picks in an hour and a half when they had the chance. You know what I mean? All those players, they got them the hell out of town for Anthony Davis as soon as humanly possible. Whereas teams like Oklahoma City, teams like the Magic, teams like uh, the Bulls went through years and years and years of trying to do it the right way, trying to, to reset, hit the reset button, find lightning in a bottle on a draft pick. If he's, and if he's the guy, maybe we start to build around him. And there's just so much opportunity to swing and miss there. But it's really neat in the NFL, Scott, how many teams can go worse to first. Honestly, oh, it, it definitely I mean, is. We talk about the, the how many teams get in and out of the playoffs on, on, a, on a yearly basis. Right? Th- three drop out, three come in almost every single year. There's, there's a ton of parity in this league right now. And I have to give the GMs credit for it because there isn't a team out there. It, truly, not even the Jets. The Jets made big free agent signings this year. There's not a team out there, Scott, who's the Oklahoma City Thunder. And, and, and I can't even say Houston is because they just beat the hell out of Jacksonville today. And oh, by the way, they signed 45 players this offseason. And, and you can't fault them for not making them five-year contracts. The fact that they made one and two-year contracts is just good business. But they put an effort in, is my point. They put a huge effort in to rebuild this roster, whereas Oklahoma City, Scott, would have been absolutely hitting the pause button. They're not moving, you know? Yeah, and I think it's kudos to player development, player whatever you want to call it, for the fact that you do have a seven-round draft, but the amount of UDFAs that we've been talking about that are making rosters, in the NBA, if you're a UDFA, you're getting a training camp invite, and you're not making you're it. Going to Europe. Or you're, <laughs> you're, you're going to Europe, or you're signing just so that the rights are there so that you can be signed on the G League team. Yeah. Um, or you're getting a, a, a two-way deal. You rarely see a UDFA make it to the full roster, whereas the NFL is completely different. You know, And, and maybe that's longevity or – you know, some of the expendable positions. Um, and you mentioned Saints here. So I ran the, the the Saints are second to last on top three combined cap hits of the league right, right now. Right. Carolina Panthers are the bottom. But it, it's fascinating to see that, you know, they had overreaction. They had the success that they had today, and their top three are 10.6, 9.3, and $8.3 million, and they're the second bottom. And then you have, you know, the Cowboys are number one with $64 million allocated to their top three players. Yep. <laughs> so right, that rounds off our discussion, doesn't it? <laughs> And honestly, part of that is is waiting on Dak because Dak got the exact contract he wanted that wasn't going to be cap friendly. Uh, I, I mentioned why I think Amari is as high as he is. I, I think they want to make they want to leave room to get rid of him next year if they have to, and a restructure would have hurt, made that a lot more complicated. And certainly Zeke Zeke's contract is I, I like Zeke a lot, and I, I do want running backs of that ability to get paid. But I think the length. And the structure of that contract is really old school. And it's really going to be a problem over the next year and a half 
because it is guaranteed through next year at some point. And I, I do think that that was probably a, the wrong move at the, at that time. So yeah, I, I see what happens there. And they do have a lot of money invested in offensive line too. So they're, it's not like they're, they're doing everything wrong. You know, I, I, again, I'm not, I'm not knocking Jerry Jones in that structure. He's done a lot of things right over the years, but if they're not in contention for six years, then what was this all for? You know, he's still playing the long game, in my opinion. That's how I evaluate the, the Cowboys situation. He's trying to play the, play the long game and the league just isn't that way anymore. Nobody's playing long anymore. Everybody's playing for this year, maybe next year. And then it's who the hell knows. And that's how you have to structure your finances. That's why restructures are going to continue to happen probably exponentially more and more every year, especially with the void year situation. And oh, by the way, Scott, saw a great tweet from Mike McCarthy, a great agent out there, Kirk Cousins, and many, many, many top tier players. And, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins' resume speaks for itself. Now that teams have folded and they've bent, and the Pittsburgh Steelers being one of them, as I, as I noted in my TJ Watt breakdown, they gave up their structure. They gave up their, uh, you know, their reins that they had down on not guaranteeing salaries. Now that basically every team has flexed in, in, into this weird situation of a year and void years are available and up upfront base guarantees are available in Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh and you know restructures are available in teams that really don't do that the bills that a ton of restructuring this year they they like to stay away now that all that's on the table why does anybody need a 5 or 6 year contract why give me a 2 year contract with 3 void years and you can have your cap flexibility but i still get to get to control my destiny in 3 years i i think that we have there's a real chance Scott that the NFL looks like the NBA very very shortly yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And when I saw, you know, the the whole TJ Watt extension happen, what immediately came to mind was your conversation with Tampa Bay and how yeah. before Tom Brady got there, they were so structured in what they were doing and then all of a sudden now they're they're flexing their their cap to meet the needs to move forward and now you've got Pittsburgh doing it. So I think you're starting to see a uh, a maturation of That's right. The, the cap and and again I, I wonder how much of it is knowing you know is the cap going to go up where is it going to be in the, with the money well you there, know? there's no, it's definitely going up so part of that is well, that's that's a big part of this right you're right. you're right tampa bay was religiously at the bottom of the dead cap list every single year they absolutely did everything possible not to take on dead cap and now this year specifically that's out the window because they're the, the void years coming up here. That's going to all come to roost in 2023, 24, but that's also when the cap is supposed to shoot up, you know? So you're right. It's, it's the, it's the economy of the league with the contract, the D, the TV deals, the, the CBA situation, and also, you know, toss this pandemic situation now in here and the cap drop. And I think I think this really could favor the players, Scott. I really do. Certainly, it favored the Steelers. Micah Fitzpatrick's up for an extension now, and I don't know how the hell he doesn't get a situation that T.J. Watt just got. You know, you did it for him. Why can't you do it for me? You traded two first-round picks to get me in here, right? So it's uh, uh, there's, and, there's a and, lot and, of bending and breaking here, unfortunately, for these teams. Maybe it's a good thing. I, I, I like seeing players get the right kind of structure, and I think teams won't hate the small contracts once they're here. I really don't think they do. Yeah, I think it's sort of a reverse psychology situation where instead of a five-year 
and then you have to restructure or get cut, you do a two-year deal and you've played so well in those first two years, oh, we're just going to extend you two more years and then extend you two more years. And you know, you're know, you flipping the, the script on the front office. Right. And, and honestly, that's the Brady philosophy and we won't go into that end because I've said that 975,000 times, but but what what ends up happening if I'm if I'm putting on the team hat here, what ends up happening in those cases is the next man up stuff, Scott, just goes away. Because if I'm getting paid every two years anyway, it, a from a cap perspective, there's no way you know you can just continue to max out an AAV or a guarantee structure in that in that situation. But the concession is you're constantly getting cash in hand. You're constantly getting right. another signing bonus. You're constantly getting two years fully guaranteed. So there's some injury protection there. I just think keeping the wheel churning is A, going to be good for the player. You want the control. The teams will have to figure out how to make it good for them. And I think what I just said is part of that. But it's going to be so good for the league. It's going to be... So, imagine if Aaron Rodgers' contract was expiring every two years. <laughs> Can you imagine? I, I mean, Twitter would just be going crazy constantly. Any quarterback, honestly, but certainly him with his passive aggressiveness and whatnot. But I just think it's good for everybody. I, I really think there's a chance in it. You know, I, I've kind of been alluding to this the, the past few months, but I, I really do think now that Pittsburgh has bent on, on the TJ Watt structure, every team has now done so. So I don't know how we go back. Are our teams just going to try to say, no, 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 the pandemic's over. The virus is gone. We have to go back to our old ways. I, it's like, you know, we talked about with you and Keith Scott, the second you take a minimum contract, you're a minimum basketball player. So the second you do, you guaranteed base yes. salaries for TJ Watt, that's now something that Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Steelers do. The second you know void years are added to Tampa Bay Buccaneers contracts, that's that's now something they offer. So I, I do think that there are some positive player developments coming out of this. A very very tough situation, unfortunately. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, over these next few years how what we've been talking about these last few years how it is going to drastically change knowing. The money influx, the sure. you know the, the the smart cap, you know whatever uh, creativity that we love to see. I'll, I'll say this: that is that's one of the things I want. That, that maybe that's the uh, the icing on the cake here with this conversation. I, I do think a lot of what we're talking about here, Scott, is that GMs have gotten extremely intelligent. Really, there's just a lot of good decisions being made from a contract structure standpoint, from a player um, acquisition standpoint, player. The, the, the development, the scouting part of it. I mean, you talked about the UDFAs. That just gets more and more every year. And, and you know, you can try to poke holes in that and say, of course, that, you know, there's more UDFAs than drafted players because of you know, there's slotted seventh rounders and blah, blah, blah. Uh-uh. Those guys are... There's, there's guys and girls be out there working their butts off to find these players knowing that they're going to be able to hide them, right? Sneak them through the seven rounds, bring them in, pay them a $30,000 UDFA bonus... And then slot them in as the as the second cornerback on their roster for the next two three years on an absolute minimum contract. That's just damn good business, and we're seeing so much more of it because front offices, scouting departments, analytics, technology, they're they're using all of that to their advantage, and that's making this game more efficient from a financial perspective. It really is, Scott. Yeah, completely good agree. Let's get back to basketball soon. There's, is there going to be a story about that we can talk about soon? My God, I feel like it's oh. 
Ben Simmons speculation and what are the Lakers, you know, are the Lakers going to need wheelchairs by the middle of the season? And that's really it. That's what everybody's talking about <laughs> right now. I, I, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, we're, we're on the verge of training camps here. So you're getting, you know, <laughs> mid, minimum contracts and exhibit nine and tens for training camp contract. But I, I think as we get closer here, we're going to start seeing some more rookie extensions that Keith had posted about. So if you haven't taken a look at, at what Keith has posted in some of his predictions, I would definitely take a look at that because as we start getting closer to October and into October, uh, we're going to start seeing more of those rookie extensions happening. Wednesday show Keith Smith breaking down the first round rookie extension possibilities. Sound good? Yes, it does. Good stuff, Scott. Thank you. Thanks. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year. And of course, Balanced Bridge funding. Visit balancebridge.com. Get yourself started today. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. <laughs>